Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles. An audio adventure. The story thus far. Miley and Oberlin have boarded the Tengula Railway, the world's most luxurious train, in order to travel from Beijing to Lhasa, the capital of Tibet, quietly and without notice. While on board, Miley tells Oberlin the story of Dr. Ten Sui, a military scientist and head of Section 9, a division of Chinese intelligence dedicated to the study of extraterrestrial communication. Many years ago, Dr. Sui was visited by the immortal Bennu, Evangeline's closest confidant. Bennu coerced Dr. Sui into stealing a starstone from the Chinese government by offering him $600 million and the promise of immortality if he was successful. Bennu also warned the doctor of an imminent alien attack on the earth. Elsewhere, Whit Roberts has learned of Miley's plan to travel to Tibet and is in pursuit. He desperately wants to take back the mysterious briefcase that Oberlin stole from the Idrisil. Whit claims that whatever is inside allows him to speak to gods. Meanwhile, somewhere deep under the South Pacific, McAllen, Tully, Anton and Harlequin are racing in a stolen submarine to find the rogue Starstone lying outside Leviathan. They have no idea they are being pursued. Back within Acheron, Jason Sterling has reached out to Ikoro, the chief medical officer of the Rebellion and former lover of Senshin, to learn what the Rebellion knows about the whereabouts of McAllen Orsel. He has revealed her to be the traitorous mole within the Rebellion. In the meantime, Senshin has been contacted by his oldest friend, Alexander, who has been swept up in a stunning turn of events. Seventy years ago, Alexander was one of the original architects of the Rebellion, but in the process of escape, Alexander lost his leg and has since retired to lead a quiet civilian life with his wife Rebecca along the canals of Amsterdam. But his retirement is interrupted by a young immortal named Nathaniel, who has just escaped from Leviathan City and stolen plans for a massive device that Evangeline is building. He travels through a keyhole portal and races to find asylum within the Rebellion. Bennu knows the plans for Evangeline's device have been stolen, so he sends Gravlar, a deadly immortal assassin, to kill Nathaniel before he can pass on the plans to the Rebellion. But Nathaniel escapes and finds Alexander in Amsterdam, who shelters him from his attackers. But Amsterdam isn't safe, and at Alexander's insistence, Senshin sends a private jet to the Netherlands to pick up the boy and safely deliver him to New York City in order to learn what Evangeline intends to do with a device that she has been building for centuries. And now, Chapter 18, Union of Adversaries. Just past the small town of Roscoe, an emerald green Aston Martin DBS raced north on Route 17 towards a remote airport near Binghamton. The car strained against the tight roads of the Catskill Mountains, but the driver refused to lift his foot off the accelerator. The damn plane is landing early. We'll be touching down in 20 minutes and I'm still 15 miles away. I don't want the plane sitting on the ground that long. I don't want him sitting on the ground that long. Senshin downshifted as the car climbed up a steep hill near deposit. The speedometer hovered around 120 
and Senshin knew that being stopped by the police would be catastrophic. At this speed, he would most certainly be arrested. Once in custody, there was always the chance that one of his various aliases would come up, or maybe the officers would want to know why his age kept coming up as 105 years old, when he looked not a day over 40. But even worse, his capture could get registered in a law enforcement database that could trigger a location beacon by one of the various enemies of the rebellion. Enemies like the Black Door Group. <laughs> the drawback of being immortal, avoiding law enforcement like the plague, having to constantly live or bribe our way out of the periphery of the electronic age, keeping no records of our existence, drawing no attention. That's our greatest fear, isn't it? Being trapped, having everyone know where you are. But Senshin also knew that the possibility of being stopped by a highway patrol was next to nothing. The Aston's deep green color was a shade darker than when it left its factory in Warwickshire, due to the radar and laser-absorbent paint shield that covered almost every inch of the car. Front and rear jammers were tucked just below the license plate, and a sophisticated AI system was built in to monitor police chatter to identify any nearby patrol cars. Not that they could see Senshin if they wanted to. All internal lights had been extinguished, and the car ran without headlights. Just a small night vision heads-up display showed a computer image of the road that lay ahead. The car's only evidence was the sound of its engine. Down at just 25 miles away. And now our existence rests in the hands of a boy. Just a teenager, really. But Senshin knew that Nathaniel was clearly not a teenager, though it was easy to think of him that way given his slight build and boyish face. He was probably a century or two old, but appearances were always deceiving. Immortality didn't change that. He left everything to run away by himself. What happened to him in Leviathan? What did Evangeline do to you, Nathaniel? Senshin drove for another 15 minutes before turning on Route 17 near Binghamton and proceeding down a series of smaller roads before slowly negotiating an unmarked dirt path that opened to a wide field. The moonless night betrayed little detail of the barren airstrip. A hangar, barely visible under starlight, stood at the far end of a dusty runway, and Senshin accelerated quickly towards it as soon as it materialized on his night vision screen. The massive hangar doors were left open about 10 feet, and Senshin pulled the car inside and pressed an interior button to have the doors close behind him. Once the doors were closed, lights automatically flickered on to reveal a black Gulfstream G650 jet with no markings. A red LED light illuminated the cockpit, and a dark-skinned Indian man stared at Senshin and nodded slightly. The Kumbar Potters. Where would we be without them? The cabin door finally opened, and a tall, skinny boy of no more than 18 walked tentatively out of the plane. Hello, Nathaniel. My name is Senshin. As the boy walked down the stairs of the jetway, Senshin noted he was wearing the slightly tattered clothes of an 18th century aristocrat. For a moment, this surprised Senshin, as uniforms and functional work clothes were typically worn within the confines of Leviathan. When he escaped to the surface, he had nothing, leaping through a keyhole with only the clothes on his back. He wore the same clothes that he wore when he first arrived at Leviathan. He probably hoped he would blend in with people today. My god, the world has changed. It's all right, Nathaniel. You're safe now, but we should leave here quickly. Come with me. We're going to get into my car and get you back to New York City. Senshin paused for a moment when he said the word car. He wasn't sure if Nathaniel had actually ever seen one before. Certainly not the latest Aston Martin model. 
In fact, Senshin didn't know exactly how old Nathaniel was, or in what year he had become immortal. His vague memory of the young lad was as a dutiful young boy that was his father's assistant in Leviathan. The boy always had seemed pleasant, if not a bit shy. And to be honest, Senshin had really never given him much thought at all. But it struck him. This boy risked everything to bring those schematics to us. Perhaps it was the only thing of value he could obtain, but it would only have value to the Rebellion, to me. Either he is not as shy as I think, or something very drastic has changed in Leviathan to drive this boy away. I must get answers. Come, Nathaniel. The boy walked down the jetway and sat in the passenger side of the car where Senshin had opened the door for him. Senshin got behind the wheel and pulled the Aston Martin out of the hangar and back on the road towards Route 17, which would take them back towards New York City. Nathaniel, I want to tell you how much respect I have for you, for what you've done by leaving Leviathan. It's quite a risk you've taken, and I admire your bravery. The boy sat in silence and stared straight ahead. You know, when I left Leviathan, I did so with a company of several hundred as part of my rebellion. You escaped alone. That makes you far braver than I. The boy still said nothing, but seemed to wince slightly. I know how different the world around you must seem, but I want to assure you that you have one gift I never had. Companionship. You have a community within the Rebellion that will help you rebuild your life and find a place for yourself within this time. You know, when I rebelled, I had no one to help me integrate my brethren and me into this world, this modern world. In reality, things don't really change that much despite technological advances. I suspect you've learned that already in Leviathan. The boy looked ahead out of the window towards the stars. With no lights on in stealth mode, Senshin could just make out the boy's face in the glow of the red heads-up display. The boy looked tired, and Senshin reached to put his arm on the boy's shoulder. I know how much you've risked to bring us these plans. There was a way- ah! oh! Don't you touch me! You're a murderer! Do you hear me? A venomous murderer! What the hell is wrong with Don't. you? Don't! Don't touch me or pretend off me your hand and friendship! You took away everything that ever meant something to me! Oh, are you out of your fucking mind? You're nothing more than a traitor scum! A piece of filth that- I, I don't understand. Why? My mother, Dorothy Pratt, died 70 years ago, the night of your rebellion. Immortals aren't supposed to die. Don't you understand that? I am so sorry for your loss. I had no idea that your mother- No! Of course you wouldn't have any idea. You also probably don't know that my father, Victor Pratt, was killed by Evangeline's guards. Apparently, he was seen too many times with you, and was considered an enemy of the state after you left. After you ran off with your merry band of thieves to live on the surface. Nathaniel, you must know that had I ever known what the cost of the rebellion would be, I would have taken my own life first. I never wanted to kill anyone. The entire purpose of the virus itself was that we didn't want to kill Evangeline. No, you'd let us starve underwater with no ability to commune with a Starstone. What exactly was our populace going to do without Evangeline? If your virus didn't kill us right away, then- Forgive me, but since when is living out your natural lifespan considered a death sentence? You do it, Senshin. We had plans in place to continue Evangeline's legacy. A woman named McCallan Orsel, a cloned hybrid created from a genetic breeding experiment that would allow us to continue the immortal communion with Starstones. You only needed to trust- Trust you! You killed my mother, father, and all my friends, you bastard! Silence lingered between the two men. Nathaniel, I say again how utterly sorry I am for your loss. But if vengeance is your objective... Don't flatter yourself, Senshin. I wouldn't lower myself to your level. I can solve my problems without resorting to violence. I'm better than vermin like you. Then why are you here? To save the world, of course. What do you know of the world? You've only lived on the surface for, what, 17, 18 years at most? Don't let my body be an excuse to think that you hold some moral superiority over me. Your intentions are irrelevant and self-absorbed. 
I came here because- Yes, why did you come here? Because I believe in the Eden Initiative. Forgive me, but I don't follow. No, of course you wouldn't. Because you never did. You never did follow, Sension. Following meant putting the needs of others over your own selfish desires. The Eden Initiative wasn't some present that fate handed you. It was a calling, a duty to fulfill. The Eden Initiative was meant to bring us together and grant us a perspective of existence that mortal men could never achieve. By being able to think beyond 50, 100 or even 1,000 year time horizons, we've been able to use the tools we've been given to cure cancer, produce clean energy cells to power cities, harness the ocean's power to provide endless quantities of algae with greater nutritional value than all the man-made vitamins in the world. Leviathan's bank accounts in Panama and the Cook Islands alone are greater than the GDP of Australia. We could buy off any dictator we wanted, or solve any budget deficit that we see fit. Your point, Nathaniel. My point, Sension, is that the Eden Initiative is about life. It's about the perpetuation and the advancement of mankind. You can take all your organized religions and burn the scriptures because at the end of the day, man's greatest purpose in life is to facilitate the progression of his species. It's about life, Sension. That is why I seek no vengeance against you. That is why I'm here to provide you with stolen plans to Evangeline's device. If you believe in the Eden Initiative so fervently, then why are you harming it by giving these stolen plans to me, your sworn enemy? Because Evangeline has lost her way. I could have told you that. Because I believe the device is a weapon. A weapon that my father helped build, although I doubt he knew of its purpose. Evangeline, and especially Benu, always excelled at compartmentalizing information, making sure that nobody ever knew the full scope of the projects they were working on. But from the plans I've been able to obtain, I think this weapon is intended to change the course of history. How so? I believe Evangeline now intends the Eden Initiative to be the genesis of a new Eden. An Eden of enlightened immortals taking the rightful place on Earth's surface. To begin again in God's garden with the benefit of a thousand years of knowledge. And what are the mortal humans that already occupy the Earth's surface? A weapon of this proportion, combined with the benefits of our ability to genetically manipulate organic cells, can mean only one thing for man. And what's that? Extermination. You believe Evangeline wants to use this weapon she's been developing for centuries to exterminate mankind so that immortals can take over the Earth? As I said, Sinchin, I am here because I believe in life. I have been given my immortality to protect and benefit mankind and not eradicate it. I am here in front of you, a murderer, because I believe you are the only one with enough power to stop Evangeline. I believe you can prevent the genocide of all mortal man. This was the true nature of the Eden Initiative all along. Evangeline's hatred of mankind, her persecution in Sumner Talk. This is the only way she could have her revenge. She will literally remake the human race in her own image. I've heard rumors of a lethal virus that exclusively targets human and primate DNA. It's unthinkable. Populate the Earth with immortals that have been educated, indoctrinated, and now wholly dependent upon her? She would literally be the queen of all mankind. The garden would be hers to control. But she knows we would stop her. How could she think The that signal! The Starstone signal! We are protected from it within Leviathan by a Daxonite shield. Evangeline had it constructed after the first signal wave struck us. Maybe she intended it to wipe out the immortals beyond her reach. With you out of the way, there would be nothing to stop her. Sension stamped his foot down on the pedal hard. Come on, we can't waste any time. I'm not sure I can withstand another strike from that fucking signal. We have to get back to Sutton Manor before- Warning. Law enforcement activity detected. Isolate. To patrol cars 13 miles east of present location. Damn it. Maybe we can double back and... Warning. Law enforcement activity detected. Three federal vehicles approaching rapidly from behind. Federal? What could... What's going on, Sension? I... I don't know. This is very odd. 
Computer, determine alternative route to New York City. Calculating. Calculating. What's the holdup, computer? Law enforcement roadblocks are being erected in almost all alternative routes. <sighs> this is a trap. Someone knows we're here. Someone knows. But that's just impossible. Computer, how far behind us are the federal vehicles? Three miles and closing. That means we have less than 90 seconds. 90 seconds for what? Sension jerked the wheel hard right and slammed the clutch into second gear, jamming the accelerator. The Aston Martin spun 180 degrees around and rocketed in the opposite direction, now heading straight for the three federal agents trailing them. What are you doing? Trying to get to them before they get to us. Computer, ETA to rendezvous with law enforcement. Distance closing rapidly, now less than 20 seconds. And our ETA to the exit ramp for I-81. Approximately 15 seconds. I don't like the sound of approximately. Do you mind telling me what you're thinking? Sension upshifted into third. Roadblock. The police chasing us. Someone is assuming that we are rushing to go back into hiding in New York. I thought we were. Well, change of plans. We're going to take ID1 heading to Pennsylvania, away from New York. My hope is that by heading in another direction, we can avoid the trap that someone has sprung on us. Ten seconds until law enforcement rendezvous. This will be interesting. Is that the exit? The Aston Martin raced off the on-run, going the wrong way on Route 17 and jammed on its brakes. When the car shuddered to a stop, Sension quickly shut down all power in the car. A split second after the Aston came to a stop, three federal vehicles sped down Route 17, their lights and sirens blaring. Neither Sension nor Nathaniel said a word. That was close. <laughs> yes, it was. But I fear we're not out of the woods yet. What do you mean? Computer, what is the status of law enforcement at the bridges and tunnels heading into Manhattan? Checking all tolls, bridges and tunnels. Showing roadblocks at 60% of entrance points and rising. They'll have all the roads into Manhattan blocked. How will we get into New York? We'll have to do something insidious. Something I swore I would never do. What's that? <sighs> Take the Staten Island Ferry. Sension and Nathaniel traveled over six more hours by car, taking an incredibly circuitous route to enter Staten Island from the outer bridge crossing in New Jersey. Sension ditched the Aston Martin in the municipal parking lot of St. George in Staten Island and told Nathaniel that they would be proceeding by foot from here. They both walked over and boarded the Staten Island ferry, heading to Manhattan. As the morning sun rose over New York Harbor and the ferry passed by Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, Nathaniel leaned over the guardrail and inhaled deeply. <sighs> My God. It must have been a century since I've smelled the brine of the sea. <laughs> I'm free now. But what choices must I make? I must collaborate with a murderer. The Staten Island Ferry pulled into dock in Lower Manhattan. Nathaniel half expected something momentous to occur, either sirens blaring or jumpsuited members of Leviathan coming to whisk him off to some unknown location. Instead, thousands of tired morning commuters just pushed past him. People still do what people do. Are you all right, Nathaniel? I am. But I am very hungry, Sension. Come. I know a splendid place for breakfast. Sension and Nathaniel hailed a taxi and directed it to Koreatown on West 32nd Street. Despite the early hour, the streets were teeming with people speaking the countless dialects of Korea and Southeast Asia. Sension walked into an unmarked electronics store. The shopkeeper gave him a slight nod. 
Senshin and Nathaniel walked past the counter into the back storeroom, where they walked up a rickety wooden staircase. Sounds of people emanated from behind an industrial door on the second floor. When opened, Nathaniel was amazed to see over 40 diners sitting at tables with fresh flowers, while classical music played in the background. Once seated, a waitress brought Senshin and Nathaniel steaming bowls of noodle soup with thin slices of raw sirloin floating on top. Fresh basil, mint and lime wedges were served on the side. What is this? It's called pho. It's a Vietnamese soup eaten for breakfast. The noodles provide energy while the beef gives you protein. I find it very nourishing. Nathaniel ate his soup quickly, then stopped suddenly and stared out the window that overlooked the busy street below. Nathaniel, are you sure you're all right? Sorry. Just trying to get used to all of this. It will take time. I'm sorry about striking you earlier. It's all right. You didn't know what you were doing. No, I knew exactly what I was doing. You deserve that, and worse. But I'm also better than that. And I let my emotions get the best of me. You have my word that I will do everything in my power to stop Evangeline, no matter what the cost. Thank you, Senshin. But I question your reliability. I beg your pardon, Nathaniel? That's a bit arrogant on your part. Is it? I don't question you, Senshin. But the security of your rebellion concerns me. How did those law enforcement officers know where to find us? You said nobody knew that you were picking me up from Amsterdam. For that, I have no answers. Well, you'll need to find answers quickly. Nathaniel. My God, it's Gravelaw. He followed me to New York. He found me. Who is Nathaniel? We have to run. We have to get out of here. Why? Gravelaw's coming. He's been hunting me since Amsterdam. Damn it! Who the hell is Gravelaw? After your rebellion, things changed within Leviathan. Security became the utmost concern on Evangeline's mind, so she created a police force, drawn from the best mercenaries on the surface. Needless to say, the allure of immortality and wealth for such ilk allowed Evangeline to recruit some of the deadliest scum on Earth. Gravelaw is the head of Evangeline's police force. I can sense him now, too. This Gravelar is close by, probably within a thousand feet. How can you tell? Because your panic is like a beacon to him. You must control your thoughts, Nathaniel. I know it's difficult, but he I'm can trying, sense. Uh, but He's searching for you. Your emotions betray you. You've got to control them. We've got to find cover somewhere. Where can we hide? In plain view. That's always the best choice. I think I have an idea. What? Where are we going? Senshin urgently pulled Nathaniel out of the tucked away restaurant and ran down 32nd Street. The pair sprinted west, pushing people out of their way as they ran as fast as they could. But as they ran further west, the streets became sparser. People no longer congregated on the sidewalks. Streets were deserted. Old industrial buildings populated the neighborhood. Most of them appeared to be abandoned. Running away won't help you. You escaped from the most forbidden place on Earth, and I still found you. Come on, Nathaniel. He's coming. I know he's coming. Stop it. What are we going to do? We should head further west. But there's nothing. Set further west. Come on, move. Senshin shoved Nathaniel down 35th Street and sprinted down the block past 9th Avenue, past 10th Avenue, until they saw it. A large building constructed of black glass that seemed to stretch on for over four full city blocks. What is that building? It's huge. It's called the Jacob Javits Convention Center. It's where large numbers of people congregate to showcase goods. Like a marketplace? Yes. Like a marketplace. Why are we going there? I thought we wanted to stay away from people, don't we? Normally they... the answer is yes. But right now we need to surround ourselves by as many people as possible. We need to confuse Gravelar. It'll be hard for him to isolate your mind in such a large crowd. Are you sure? No, I'm absolutely not sure. But come on, we have to move. 
Senshin and Nathaniel ran down the gently sloping street until they reached the entrance of the convention centre. Yellow cabs were lined up, letting people out and taking on new passengers. Throngs of people crowded through the narrow turnstiles, carrying white plastic bags with the names of corporations on them. The structure, this building, it's huge. What do they sell here, Senshin? It's a convention center, so it changes depending on the day. And what are they selling today? The two of them looked up at an electronic billboard on 11th Avenue that displayed a woman in a black bikini and flashed splashy colors and words. It read, 2009 New York Motorcycle Show. There must be a thousand people here. Probably closer to 10,000. Let's move over to the left. The crowd seems denser there. The more people that surround you, the harder it will be for him to pinpoint your location. What is a Harley Davidson? I've heard of it. It's a cigarette, isn't it? No, but it could kill you nonetheless. Quick, you want to find a way to move through the crowds towards an exit. If your Gravelar has followed us in here, he might get caught up in the crowds trying to find you. That will be our window for escape. I hope you know what you're doing. Me too. Crouch down. We're both tall and we'll stand out from far away. Try to blend in with the crowd the best you can. I'm trying, but do you see an exit? Not yet. Let's keep going further towards the back of the room. I'm right behind you. When we get to that area that says BMW, we're going to go right towards those service doors way in the back. They'll probably take us to the West Side Highway. Ascension! What? It's too late. Standing among all the oblivious people crowded around the latest shiny motorcycles stood Gravelar. He wore the same dark gunmetal grey leather jacket that Nathaniel had seen him wear in Amsterdam. Sensham was the one who noticed the odd protrusions emanating from the jacket. Nathaniel, you've come quite a long way from home. You know I have to take you back. My name is Sensham. The boy has my protection. I'll say this once, Sensham. Despite having caused the death of thousands, I have no orders regarding you. I only care about the boy. Give him to me now and you both will live. If not, you both will die. Senshin knew how serious the moment was. Gravelar did too. He would kill both of them in broad daylight, in the middle of a crowd of thousands with cameras watching his every move, because it didn't matter. Yes, Gravelar could kill them both, and yes, Gravelar would be apprehended momentarily by the police, which were already starting to run toward the BMW booth from their stations at the entrance hall. But what then? If they could hold him, he would be arrested. He would go to trial and they would give him 20, 30 years. Life in prison, even. Such a tiny span of time meant nothing to an immortal. Gravelar could wait out any punishment that mortal man could dole out. Gravelar could use time to solve any problem that mortal man threw at him. A man that is unpunishable is the most dangerous man of all. Gravelar started to walk towards Senshin and Nathaniel. Stay out of this, Senshin. This is the last time I'll offer. Come with me now, Nathaniel, and nobody will get hurt. Do you think I'm stupid enough to think I'm going to live? If you don't kill me now, you'll take me back to Leviathan where I'll be killed after Evangeline and Benu tried to tear apart my mind. Fine. You've made your choice. And I have made mine. Gravelar crossed his arms into his leather jacket and pulled out gleaming knives in each hand. The crowd around them started to scream and scatter out of Gravelar's path as he walked towards Senshin and Nathaniel. Sorry, Nathaniel, but you're on your own. My people need me, and I owe it to them to fight another day. I am sorry. Senshin walked away, clearing the path between Gravelar and Nathaniel. You bastard. You traitor. You were so young for an immortal. It's a shame to kill you, Nathaniel. A young fool. Senshin ran over to the salesman that was demonstrating the new suspension system on the BMW K1300S motorcycle. As the salesman started the engine for the customer, he never had time to see the haymaker punch thrown by Senshin. 
Excuse me, but I saw it first. It's time to pay for your sins, Nathaniel. Ah! Sentium roared the massive fight between Grablar and Nathaniel. Nathaniel, get on! He kicked his left leg out hard, using the momentum of the bike to deliver an explosive kick to Grablar's stern, hurling him down to the ground. Nathaniel launched his leg over the side of the bike and ah! held on for dear life. Ascension gunned the throttle, sending the K1300S launching into the crowd. Five security guards descended on top of Gravlar. Four more guards sprinted in pursuit of Sension as he drove the bike towards the entrance of the convention center. This guy's crazy! He's gonna kill someone! I thought you were going to abandon me to that killer! I wouldn't have been able to lead hundreds of immortals into a rebellion had I abandoned those people at the first sign of danger. I promise you safety and I intend to honor that promise. Sension skidded the bike to a stop in front of the turnstiles at the exhibit hall entrance. My god! Look! Nathaniel pointed back to the center of the convention hall and saw three security guards curled in the air. Gravlar sprang upwards and twisted another guard's arm 360 degrees. Then he kicked his enormous leg into the man's knee, forcing it to bend 45 degrees the wrong way. The man collapsed, but not before his head met Gravlar's knee, sending the man reeling backward into the last guard standing, knocking them both down. We need to get out of here. Fast. The security force was now split between apprehending Gravlar and stopping Sension. Nathaniel tightened his grip and felt Sension open the throttle on the bike, sending it smashing through metal turnstiles. Metal rods ripped off their hinges and sailed through the air, taking out the closest security guards, as well as a few pedestrians. I warned you, Sension! Gravlar sprinted at Sension and Nathaniel, mowing down people that stood in his way. Sension shot the bike forward and saw his only out. Hold on. Sension pointed the bike down the long escalator that led to the street level. With one twist of the wrist, the 500-pound bike ripped down the escalator, sending people flying over the side to avoid being run over. The bike's ABS clipped like mad to try and find some traction, but the bike was more airborne than landlocked. Police cars started racing over to the Javits Center, and cops were running in to assess what was happening. The bike landed on the slick marble floor of the lobby, and fishtailed ascension yanked the bike side to side as he raced down the length of the convention center. They've blocked off all the exits. Not all the exits. Sension jammed the throttle and swung the bike around 180 degrees. He pointed the bike back towards the escalator and all the policemen that were rushing to converge on them. Hang on and keep your head low. The cops reached for their guns, but in a blink of an eye, the bike rose up on a wheelie, shielding Sension and Nathaniel from the worst of the oncoming bullet fire. Sension tapped the rear brake, sending the front wheel crashing down. With both wheels on the ground, Sension veered the bike left, dragging his knee in the process. Only the entrance window now stood in his way. Sension gunned the bike forward and downshifted sharply to bring the front wheel upwards just a bit, just in time before... Hold on! The BMW sailed through the tinted glass facade of the Jacob Javits Center. More squad cars were now racing to the scene to deal with the increasing level of pandemonium. The bike landed just ahead of the taxi line as the BMW's massive five-inch rear tire touched down first. Ascension wasted no time accelerating to 120 miles per hour to race across 11th Avenue and down 36th Street. Ascension skidded to a stop on 8th Avenue to look behind to see who was following. He expected to see the three police cars that were racing towards him, but what he didn't expect to see was what he saw next. A red Ducati 1198 soared through the air, bursting through the glass wall of the convention center. You think you're running away, Nathaniel? You think Sension will protect you? He's even weaker than you are. Coming for you now. 
and I'm taking what is mine. Don't listen to him, Nathaniel. Ascension gunned the throttle, spinning the bike's rear wheel 90 degrees so that it pointed down 8th Avenue. Hold tight! The BMW exploded in a burst of speed that sent it streaking up 8th Avenue. A pair of large M20 city transit buses rumbled side by side, taking up two lanes of traffic. Watch out! Ascension steadied his hand and raced between the two buses with only inches on either side of his handlebars. Nathaniel gathered the strength to look over Sension's shoulder to see the speedometer reading 65 miles per hour. If we cut right, we might lose him. But the Ducati was close behind. Gravelar leaned the bike hard in pursuit, dragging his knee as the bike rounded the corner onto 8th Avenue. The gap between the two buses had narrowed too much even for the slender Italian racing bike. Gravelar was determined to catch his prey and took his bike further right, hopping the curb onto the sidewalk and accelerated through a crowd of pedestrians to try to cut Sension off. Ascension turned his head for a second to see Gravelar run his bike over the body of one of the fallen pedestrians. Ascension downshifted the bike, shooting it forward, barely missing Gravelar's attempt to T-bone his motorcycle. Ascension continued racing down 44th Street while Gravelar sped past along 8th Avenue. That was close! It's not done with us yet. We need an exit. Some way that he can't follow us. Ascension leaned the bike hard to the left and rounded the corner onto 6th Avenue. Sirens blared to his left and right as the city's police had obviously been alerted that a motorcycle chase was now taking place in Midtown Manhattan. But the police were the least of Ascension's concern. He pushed the bike harder, redlining at 12,000 RPMs in third gear. The stoplight ahead had turned red, but Ascension pushed the bike through in time to avoid the oncoming traffic. The police in pursuit were not as lucky and smashed into a FedEx truck going across 52nd Street. Where are you taking us? Someplace we can really open the bike up. What? Ascension's bike sped past Radio City Music Hall. A blur of red jumped over a small set of fountains in front of an office building on 6th Avenue. The Ducati landed on the sidewalk and careened to the side, smashing into Ascension's BMW. The bikes rammed into each other's sides, giving Gravelar the split second he needed to pull the long blade out of his jacket. You can't win, Gravelar. I always win. Oh, he cut me! Gravelar brought his knife across Nathaniel's arm, splitting his jacket open, causing blood to pour down his arm. Sension clenched his fist hard and launched it skyward with all the strength he could muster, connecting with Gravelar's chin along the way. The red Ducati was sent peeling off to the side, smashing into a hot dog vendor on the corner of 55th Street. But before Nathaniel could exhale in relief, he spied Gravelar in the side mirrors, picking up his bike and racing forward in pursuit. Where does this road lead us? To the last bit of wild in New York City, Central Park. The BMW entered the park on 59th Street and 6th Avenue and immediately turned left, going against the flow of traffic. The oncoming cars glared their horns in panic with the bike coming directly at them at over 90 miles per hour. Another police car rapidly approached and tried to block the bike's path, but Centrum quickly twitched the bike onto the side road used by the horse and buggy carts that gave tours around Central Park. Ascension's bike raced further north through the park as oncoming traffic swerved out of the bike's way to avoid the hell-bent motorcycle now increasing its speed to 120 miles per hour. Gravelar's Ducati now smashed into the right side of Ascension's motorcycle as Gravelar reached over and tried to literally pull the boy from Ascension's bike. Give me the damn boy! I swear! I'll kill you, Ascension! Ascension jammed on the front and rear brakes of his BMW, sending his ABS screaming in response, leaving Gravelar's bike to shoot forward. 
Nathaniel was still holding on to Senshin tightly with his good arm, but Senshin knew the boy's strength was fading fast with the cutting blow that Gravlar had delivered. We have to get to safety. Senshin lifted his right foot off the brake and accelerated past Gravlar in a blur, cutting his bike hard left to exit the park at 79th Street in Central Park West. The foot pegs of the K-1300S scraped against the asphalt, sending up a small stream of sparks. Senshin raced to put distance between him and Gravlar, but the Ducati was just too fast. The lighter bike Gravlar road turned out of Central Park with the slightest of leans and gained ground on Sension and Nathaniel in an instant. I have a plan. I hope it's a good one because Gravlar has almost caught up. Sension opened the throttle as far as it would go, launching the bike to 140 miles per hour down 79th Street. As the BMW crested over Columbus Avenue, the bike left the ground, sailing for 50 yards before touching down. At this speed, there was no time to slow down between traffic lights, and Senshin raced through each intersection, pulling the heavy bike left and right to avoid the traffic rushing at him. The distance between the two bikes widened momentarily, and Gravlar knew he had to move quickly. Police cars were now coming from all directions, trying to converge on the two motorcycles. I've got the two suspects. Wait, three suspects. Confirm. Two motorcycles, high speed, heading west on 79th Street. Ascension blazed all the way west, heading right into Riverside Park. He jumped the curb and drove his bike on the grass, sending rooster tails of dirt flying in the air. Patrolmen stationed in the park ran towards Ascension with their guns drawn. Stay close to me, Nathaniel. Ascension jammed on the front and rear brakes, sending the bike skidding in the grass. He leapt off, pulling Nathaniel by the shoulder. The BMW fell to the ground in a sad crunch. As NYPD sprinted towards Senshin, the immortal leader raised his hands in the air. I surrender. Don't shoot. I surrender. Two officers unleashed handcuffs from their belts and approached slowly. I'm just telling you, man. One wrong move and these guys will mow you down. You don't want to make a move, man. Senshin grabbed the approaching man and pulled him in while kicking Nathaniel in the chest hard. The bullet missed him and struck the second police officer in the collarbone. I have only seconds. I can sense Gravlar coming. Senshin swept his leg. Following him down, Senshin twisted the handcuffing officer's arm over 360 degrees. But too much time had already gone by, and the last officer standing managed to get another shot off going through Senshin's arm. Senshin now grabbed the Beretta off one of the fallen police officers, putting him right below the knee, causing him to collapse in pain. Gravlar had arrived in Riverside Park and was streaking towards Senshin and Nathaniel in the Red Ducati. Senshin took careful aim and fired the Beretta twice, hitting Gravlar's front wheel. The bike's front wheel skidded out fast, sending Gravlar straight over the handlebars, hitting his head hard against the concrete curb. Senshin picked up Nathaniel and sprinted through Riverside Park towards the Hudson River. The boat! Run towards the boats. The 79th Street Boat Basin was one of the only three marinas on the island of Manhattan. New York residents had to wait years, even decades on a waiting list to possess one of the coveted slips. Many kept sailboats to merge an urban and nautical life, but others kept motorboats, even houseboats that they lived on to beat the high cost of living in New York. A mesh wire gate separated Riverside Park from the docks of the marina. A metal padlock hung on the entrance. There. The houseboat at the end of the pier. Run! Run! Nathaniel and Senshin sprinted to the end of the pier where an old houseboat was moored. Steel cables affixed the boat to thick pylons in the marina along with water and electric cables. It was less of a boat and more of a house built on a square wooden platform. In fact, it was difficult to discern the boat's bow from its stern. How are we going to get away in that? Trust me. Get in. The pair entered a living room that appeared to be almost identical to a crate and barrel showroom. Nathaniel seemed bewildered by his surroundings, but Senshin wasted no time. Quick, help me move the couch. Back on the dock. Looks like you've run out of road, Senshin. Is this your best plan, Senshin? 
An ambush? What's it gonna be, Ascension? A frying pan to my head? A gunshot when I least expect it? I have you now, you coward. He was now a few feet from the boat. Wait until I tell Evangeline that. Seventy-five feet below the Hudson River, a small, semi-clear orb gently scooted along the muddy floor of the river. The orb's two occupants, Senshin and Nathaniel, sat beside each other in two command chairs looking forward. They were still settling in as they had climbed down a trapdoor hidden underneath the houseboat sofa, before the houseboat exploded due to the booby trap Senshin had set on it. What is this? An escape route. Nothing more. I have about thirty of them scattered throughout Manhattan. Submarines? No. Escape routes. What do you mean? If you went to the roof of an office building at 1285 Avenue of the Americas, you'd find a locked closet within the water tower facility. Inside the closet is a powered paraglider and a Mark 7 rebreather kit capable of a glide range of three miles east of New York Harbor. Inside the Waldorf Astoria, there is a staircase behind Harry's bar. If taken to the bottom, it leads to a boiler room where a boarded-up air shaft leads to an abandoned railway station deep under the city that leads to Grand Central Station where I keep an armored Pullman sleeper car. I've had to develop many such getaway routes in case something, well, something like this should ever happen. To go from one area of the city to another without being seen by anyone. I think someone would notice a paraglider flying around the city skyline. They would, but not when the occupant of such a craft landed in the ocean and swam 250 feet down to an underwater bunker. Man has their satellites and their computer checks and their cameras, but nothing can hide a man like water. When in danger, we always seek to find water. Where are we going? To Sutton Manor. My headquarters. Nobody knows where it exists. I have to be very careful with my entry and egress. And you figured pulling up in a submarine in broad daylight would be the most inauspicious way? Charming. No. We dock underwater and go up a hidden ladder built into one of the pilings of the FDR drive that we hollowed out. It'll take us right into the mansion. It's one of the secrets of Sutton Manor. We could always sneak out by water. How long will it take? About three hours. This vessel is capable of producing an air supply sufficient for two weeks. We could just let it settle down in the muddy silt of the river and play hide-and-seek for a few days. Nobody would ever find us. The trade-off is that our little craft was not built for speed. The current's flowing out, so we'll be at the Statue of Liberty within the hour. But heading upstream along the East River will be slow going. I'm not detecting any police boats following us from the marina. I'll take us up to full throttle. As soon as we get back to Sutton Manor, I want to go over the schematics of the plan you stole and understand what Evangeline is building. I think together we might have a chance of learning her intentions and the true nature of the Eden Initiative. It's a bit of a climb, I'm afraid. I'm behind you. This ladder will lead to a hidden door beside the medical laboratory. I want to stay as quiet as possible. Why? You said this is a place of safety. Your headquarters. Just... wait. Don't worry about that. Right now, my top field agent is in Tibet gathering the key to capturing Kalinorsal. We'll have her and the ability to control Starstone soon enough. You're changing the subject. We were talking about release. Not quite yet, Ikaro. Jason, you promised. I'm sorry, my dear, but things have changed. Nothing has changed. I've done everything you've asked. I seduced Kasunori Tanaka. I gave you names in the rebellion. I've spied and betrayed. You know this is a dynamic operation. I need more information from you. I won't. Then Toshi dies. He's my son. Not for long. Please, don't. If you would only... I want the stolen plans. I've already given you enough. 
Release my son Toshi. The plans. Senshun has them encrypted. I can't access them. Then give me the location of Sutton Manor. No! The location. I won't. Then Toshi gets burned again. Next burn is on his face. It'll be a shame to see him scarred for life every time you look at him. Do you want everyone to make fun of your son? Stop it! Just stop it! Then give me the damn location! Uh, uh, yes! Yes! Just stop! Stop! Please! Let my son go! Let Toshi go! The location... Alright! Sutton Manor is... Hikoro? Hikoro? Senshin! Senshin! I heard a shot! What happened? Are you... We need to leave, Nathaniel. Sutton Manor isn't safe anymore. Where are we going, Senshin? Tibet. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Hello everyone, this is Christoph, your author and creator of the Leviathan Chronicles, and it's about 10 o'clock at night here at the Silver Sound Studios, and we have just finished wrapping up Chapter 18, which you guys have been so incredibly patient for. I really appreciate it. I hope you think it's worth the wait, and I want to get this episode out to you guys as quick as I can because you've been so patient, so there's not enough time to record a full soapbox episode right now, so we're just going to play a couple trailers. There will be a full soapbox episode dropping early next week. We're going to record it over the weekend. It's actually going to be uh, Nobi Nakanishi, our director, and myself talking about everything that's going on from Comic-Con to all the other Leviathan-related events. So I just wanted to say thank you all so much for being such patient, awesome, ridiculously cool fans. I'm really proud of Chapter 18. Robin Shore did an awesome job. Send him an email telling him what a sound god he is at robin at silversound.us. And and I'm signing off and going to go grab a beer and a tequila. So you guys totally rock, and I will see you all in a few days. Hey, Mom, I just finished another audio book. Now which one should I listen to? I don't know. There's so many choices. If only there was a way to know before you subscribe. Have you ever asked yourself that question? With all of the patio books now available, just how do you decide what to listen to? If you have, then I invite you to listen to Patio Media Chat. Every week or so, I invite a different author to sit down and tell us about their book and why they embrace this fashion of storytelling. Join me, Chris Moody, at www.patiomediachat.com. He thought he would be the hero who solved the family crisis. He expected to take a simple trip to recover some old debts. He believed he would collect his money without any trouble. He was very mistaken. 
By the time Ray Davis realizes what he's gotten himself into, money is no longer important to him. Living to see another sunrise is. Acts of Desperation is the debut podcast novel from Tim Dodge. Subscribe today at www.timdodgestories.com. Keep your enemies close and your friends closer. Every dead body tells a story. A broken bone, a bruise, a jagged scar. It's all there if you know what to look for. And when you're a medical examiner in a city where magic and technology collide, the stories can get rather odd. But then who am I to complain? I'm just as dead as the rest of them. Two years ago, the vampires turned me, made me one of their own. Now I work with the police to bring down their criminal empire and pay them back for what they've done to me. Even I never guessed what was waiting for us in the shadows of this city. Evil is rising, and someone has to stop it. It's a good thing I'm not afraid of the dark. My name is Morgan Drowling. Welcome to Metamore City. Metamore City is a sci-fi fantasy podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www. Dot metamorcity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R-C-I-T-Y dot com. You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network, where you can enjoy the wonders of the imagination. And speaking of wonders, everybody wonders why the Bells in the Battery podcast is still plugging along, not only on Friday Follies, but a bunch of times on Sunday Showcase as well. Give Bells in the Battery a listen sometime, and you'll wonder how he gets away with some of that stuff. Rated G, family friendly. Caution, occasional toxic puns.